0: following episode of the movie club podcast can and will contain spoilers please be aware of this before you listen thank you
1: I favor a good punishing kiss it helps pass the lonely
0: All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Movie Club Podcast, episode number eight. Uh, once again, we will be talking about two films that were pre-selected. And uh, this month, we are talking about Shortcuts and I Heart Huckabees. Uh, so I guess we'll go around and we'll introduce ourselves. We have uh, a few, uh, well, we've got one new face on the, uh, the cast here tonight. So uh, we'll start with uh, myself. I'm Sean from Film Junk.
2: I'm uh, Jay from Film Junk and the Documentary Blog.
3: And uh, I'm Andrew from Row Three dot com. I'm Kurt from Twitch and Row Three.
1: I'm Omar Suarez from Twitch.
4: And I'm Arena from Row Three.
0: So it's uh, great to have all you guys with us. It's gonna be uh, gonna be fun. Omar is joining us from Iceland, so, uh, you know, we've got, uh, yet another country in the mix, which is always good.
1: Yeah, uh, I'd like to mention that it's 2.30 a.m. right now, where I am.
0: Nice. Okay. So, yep, yeah, definitely. I'm down with that. So, um, I guess we kind of discussed ahead of time that, uh, we'd start the conversation with shortcuts, because we're kind of expecting it to be not as much discussion as I, I heart Huckabees, but we'll, we'll see what happens, um so uh i don't remember offhand whose choice this was was it andrews
3: uh it might have been like i can't remember exactly i think it was because i just bought the criterion version actually right so it probably was yeah
0: okay so um well i i don't know if you uh maybe want to intro a little bit of why you wanted to uh to talk about this movie other than the fact that you had just bought it but uh (laughs) um do you want to uh give a little intro
3: yeah, sure. I mean, it's uh, it's directed by Robert Altman, and I mean, besides the fact that I just bought it, I picked it up and looked at the cover, and the cover has the cast, and the cast for this movie is ridiculous. I mean, it's the biggest cast I've ever seen of tons of big names, including a lot of my favorites, like Julian Moore and Robert Downey Jr. Um, and I can't remember if... I mean, it might have been right shortly after Altman... Altman died, right? Yep. When decided so. I mean, that might have had something to do with it too. But for the most part, it was just I saw this cast and went, "Wow, th- I, this is <coughs> this looks pretty epic." This would be a good one for the for the show, and so that's partly why I picked it. And as far as setting up the movie, I there's I don't think there's really. It's so big mm-hmm. and so many different levels and so many different sort of storylines that are going on. I mean, it's it's tough to put together an overall. Um, you know synopsis of what the movie is about which is partly why i thought we should start with shortcuts too is because it's it's almost difficult to discuss shortcuts as a whole it's it's more like a pick it apart scene by scene which characters did you like which actors didn't you like is there an overall message or is it just a hodgepodge of ideas so i just thought it might be a little bit Once I saw it, I decided, oh, it might be a little bit tougher to discuss. But um, mostly I just decided it would be cool for the cast.
0: Right. Well, yeah, I mean, you're right about it being um, epic. I mean, it's three hours. And um, from my point of view, yeah, I was – the cast was huge, and I was, like, so, like, blown away by how many people are in it. But I think even more than that, I was thinking, wow, I can't believe that he managed to get this many storylines – to work together. Like I think it's definitely pushing the limit of how many characters you can keep track of in a movie. Um, But um, what did you guys think about uh, just the fact that it had so many intertwining stories? Well, I'll, I'll jump in. (laughs) Sure.
2: (laughs) Seeing as we can see each other. Um, (laughs) I initially, uh, my interest in seeing shortcuts came from the fact that, I think it's pretty well known that P.T. Anderson's Magnolia borrows heavily from this movie or was inspired by this movie. I didn't know to what level. Um, And I had bought the Criterion version as well and it sat on my shelf for, you know, five months or whatever, six months, like the majority of my Criterion DVDs. (laughs) Uh, And um, so I was happy to, you know, be forced i guess to watch this um and i can't believe how uh similar magnolia is to this movie like to the point where certain things happened and i'm thinking to myself really like it's that (laughs) similar like especially the ending well i mean i was waiting for the equivalent uh to magnolia's frog scene and I, the whole time I'm thinking, OK, well, that's something that Magnolia has that's completely crazy and different. But this movie has its own frog scene. Yeah. Um, and of course, just, you know, stuff like Julianne Moore being in this as well. And just the image, the the first image, which I love of the helicopter spraying, um, just kind of reminded me of the... Uh, the forest fire and the and uh, it's Patton Oswalt, right? That gets picked up in the lake, isn't it? Uh, I'm not sure. Really? I I think it is. Um, and then dumped on the forest. Um, like it's you know not that heavy of a connection, but uh, and you know Tim Robbins' cop character and John C. Riley's cop character, even though they're completely different people. Um so it, yeah it was interesting watching this and and drawing the parallels between the two
5: Well the uh the difference the big difference between Shortcuts and Magnolia is that Magnolia is a melodrama and everything is amped up to 11 and I think Shortcuts is a drama like it, it's it's not as operatic as um Magnolia um And uh, I guess you should mention that it's, I don't know how many Raymond Carver stories. They took a bunch of short stories from the author Raymond Carver. And somehow, I don't know how or what genius came together to actually seamlessly connect all these stories. Because the beauty of this movie, or at least my favorite part of watching this movie, is just to marvel at the connections, the way the characters, everyone is like, Forget about six degrees of separation. Everyone's like one and a half degrees of separation, and and it's just a beautiful network of um, uh, like of social interactions. Even even if the characters aren't even aware that they cross paths with one another, you as the eye of God in the movie, um, you see that you know he uh, Tim Robbins takes the dog from one of the fishermen, and the fisherman Ogle Lily Tomlin, and there's just I love the uh, the the fact that everything is connected. It's actually an interesting tie-in with uh, with uh, Iron Huckabees, but uh, I love the connection aspect of it. Um, of Of just, it's a puzzle of a film in its own way.
0: Yeah, well, it kind of in in some ways reminded me a little bit of almost like, uh, well, I, Kurt, I don't think you've seen the TV show Lost yet. I know you guys have talked about it. On, your podcast a few times, but kind of how they had the flashbacks and, and just people kind of happened to be in each other's scenes. And it's, I've seen movies like, um, which I really liked, but they kind of forced at times the storylines to crisscross and be connected. But this one, it was so effortless that it was, it was very well done. I thought,
2: well, I, I liked some of the more visual connections. Like, uh, you know, you, it's, it's, I think it's pretty simple to have you know a character suddenly walk in the door and call someone mom that you didn't expect to be that person's mom previous but like one of the more clever ones i liked was you know the uh when the one fisherman and um uh what's her name lily not lily tomlin uh the other girl uh they switch photographs the the packs of pictures right which at first says like You know, that's kind of lame. They drop them and mix them up. But the fact that the images are like, you know, one is a real dead body and one is her posing as a dead body. Right. Which I thought was a pretty uh, clever sort of connection.
1: Lily Taylor.
2: Lily Taylor. That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't actually seen Magnolia, so I can't compare the two. So...
2: Well, you don't really have to it. now because I just spoiled it for <laughs> you. No, <thanks>. Whoops.
1: <laughs> yeah, but what? I actually really liked how the uh, the storylines or, or or the whole film didn't get like uh, confusing or um, bungled up with all these characters and how they inter interact with it, one it one another and stuff like that. And uh, that's. that's what I really liked about it, because he, he, how it flowed effort, effortlessly through, basically, and without, you know, you, you never had to uh, think back, or you, you never get confused over things. And well, it's, I think it's really hard to pull something off like that because of, of the uh, huge cast and, uh, and all these stories and how they intertwine with each other. Well, yeah. It's
5: interesting, too, that uh, some of the stories are very dark. I, 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 For some reason, right near the end of the film, when Matthew Modine is in the clown makeup and he screams, that was like a horror movie image. Yeah. Me that, 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 yeah. With, the, with the sound. And then you have Peter Gallagher that chops up, Francis McDormand's wardrobe and home and whatever, and a, a, a vacuum cleaner or steam cleaner salesman <laughs> comes in, and it's just so uh, goofy. And you have um, – and then you have the story of the men finding the dead body. It's kind of, I don't know, existential in the sense that uh, they, they just say, well, we can't really do anything, um, so we're just going to fish. Uh, yeah. it, there is was just a, a – a, a, I don't think that, like, just to get back to Magnolia for a second, there isn't a gradient like that in Magnolia. I find everything in Magnolia is, is, um, is designed to punch you in the face. Uh, it, it, everything is extreme, whereas Shortcuts is the whole gamut from small and, 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 and uh, almost too trivial to throw in a movie all the way up to, like, the, uh, the story of when the kid is hit by the car. I find that to be a very emotionally powerful scene.
2: Well, I guess or that thread. I guess Magnolia is to shortcuts uh as wanted is to the matrix. It's like Magnolia just <laughs> took it and yeah. someone should uh, on the cover of the Criterion DVD, someone should shoot the flies o- the wings off the flies on the cover of that DVD. <laughs> but yeah, I guess Magnolia doesn't have the subtlety that this this film had. But, you know, there there is a lot of uh, moments that are the complete opposite of subtle, um, but yeah, it, it's uh, it it's interesting at least from seeing how a director can clearly be inspired by a previous film. I mean, I, I guess that's another interesting thing with say like Quentin Tarantino's films. Although I think he borrows more, like broadly, I guess like he's just borrowing genres or or, or something, but. Seeing in Magnolia, you, it's like you can trace it right back to P.T. Anderson watching shortcuts. Yeah, well,
5: watch watch Wes Anderson's The Life Aquatic, and then watch Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half, and tell me that that isn't the same combination of one director absolutely inspiring <coughs> another director. Uh, it's, yeah, I, I do love that. Like, I, I mean. I love both Magnolia and Shortcuts. Uh, and, and, and like you said, the similarities are jarring. Uh, but at the same time, uh, they're both their own films. Even if they have all of this crossover, they're both completely their own films.
4: I hate to burst the bubble, but I didn't love this film. I liked it. It was okay, but I didn't love it. And There were some parts where I was just ready to turn it off. I forced myself to sit through it. And it's just some of the storylines just uh, did nothing for me, and I was more interested in what could possibly I be going be on be elsewhere. But, uh, yeah, overall, I didn't love it. Was
5: what storylines didn't yeah. work?
4: Um, Well, well the, Andy Andy. McNa- the Andy McDowell storyline with the son, uh, that, for whatever reason, didn't really appeal to me. Didn't really... Do anything for me until Was it any
5: McDowell's atrocious acting? Because <laughs> the only weak link in the entire cast. Uh. It
4: might be, but I think I really just didn't particularly care for that part of the story oh at sorry. all. I liked to Bruce Davidson as a character and his story, but I could care less about her story and the story of the son. I just saw no point in that. Towards the end, it started getting a little more interesting when the father showed up. Uh, when Jack Lemmon shows up as this estranged father that... You know, Paulson has a grandson. That I found interesting, but everything leading up to that I didn't like. And as much as I like Lily Taylor and Robert Downey Jr., didn't really care for their story either.
5: Yeah, their their story is curiously uh, low-key compared to the other ones.
4: Yeah, I mean, it had bits that were sort of interesting. Like, I like the idea that they move into the neighbor's house, you know, th- who live an apparently completely different lifestyle. And I thought that was interesting but not enough to warrant that much time I don't know, there were just little threads that I was kind of interested in but they didn't really do anything for me so I really didn't care I would have just liked to spend way more time with the Wymans because they were just bizarre and that's Julianne Moore, I just thought they were fantastic
5: Not Lyle Lovett who I think is absolutely yeah, such the a fantastic st- performance from him, considering he has <laughs> most of it over the phone but yeah, I agree. He's awesome in that movie. He is just a joy to watch, and he looks good in a baker's hat. <laughs> uh,
1: I actually, th- so I actually ahead. thought. He, uh, uh, sorry about that. Uh, I actually thought Lionel of it was like horrible, horrible <gasps> when when he wasn't on the phone. That is uh, really you, yeah, just you kiss, know, when, uh... when they confront him the morning after, he's just it's, it's terrible. It's like watching a six year old trying to uh, in a school play or something it's just, when he turns around he just oh it's uh it was terrible terrible i
5: thing. love the concept though that uh you know when you're caught up in your own little world you you just um you know it's impossible to put the person on the other side into context so this little petty thing about the cake because of a couple phone conversations escalates mm-hmm. up to him becoming the most petty person on the planet. But the film doesn't... It's funny because Robert Altman I find in general is is like a real cynical director, but... At the end of that story, um, Lovett actually, you know, finds a way socially, with saving face on all sides, to turn around and be a real human being. And a, and and you know, like considering all the shit that he layered onto their, you know, other emotional pain, uh, I love the fact that he becomes like a nice guy, and and somehow everyone can. Uh, you know, reconciles the differences of, like, a super awkward social situation. I I didn't think that that thread would end that way, and I was, there was a lot of joy in, in that there was, that human beings can get past their pettiness, even if they've taken it to the, uh, you know, to the far end, they can actually come back and be rational again. I, I like that a lot.
1: Yeah, know, I uh, what... have... Go
4: ahead, Mark, sorry.
1: Yeah, sorry. Uh, there was one thing um, about... Uh, this film is how the stories usually never ended the way you thought they were going to end because I was uh, usually filmmakers follow a formula of some kind and they're, and I was expecting a lot more like morality tales in this film and a lot of people like Lily Tomlin's character in the end gets away with basically killing an 8 year old boy and she's seen the last shot of her is seen she's drunk and laughing with tom waits and i i was suspecting lila lovett's character to be charged with the murder of of, of the boy or somehow connected to it and uh, and how um there's no resolution or, or it seems it seems to be that uh chris Penn's character gets away with killing that girl in the uh, after, uh, when the earthquake yeah starts so uh, so there's no like uh, the the people there's no morality basically, and uh, especially and with the Tim Robbins character and Madeline Stowe, how he is he's having an affair, and she basically forgives because he uh, she he she knows he's back to her because the, the Francis McDormand's character is apparently left him, so and she she just you know List. goes with it, yeah. So there's a lot of uh, you know I, I wasn't expecting that type of endings. I was expecting a lot more like you know Lily Tomlin would get arrested or somehow you know the the, the thing would uh, catch up with her and or something like that in some way.
5: Yeah, it's less movie than you would think yeah. a movie would be.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, there's some. And, uh, uh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, oh, go ahead.
2: <laughs> I was just gonna say there's. Uh, some weird motivations behind some of the characters, um, in, in, uh, uh, like throughout it, it like, uh, I guess spoilers are okay for this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um,
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, Chris Penn at the end of the film. Um, I don't entirely buy the motivation behind what he does at the end of the film. um, yeah. It, it just, like, I, I can see how maybe you could build something out of that, but it just seems to come out of nowhere. And uh, Lyle Lovett's character, I don't really buy the motivation of getting as ticked off as he did about the, the cake thing. Um, it almost seems like the motivation is there to just add another layer or connect the stories, like to get Uh, allow Lovett's character to drop these phone calls on, you know, another element of the story only to have them eventually come together. Um, But he
5: doesn't connect in any other way. He's the one character that hangs off into space. He doesn't connect to any other character in the movie.
2: Right. And, uh, I I mean, that's what I mean, I guess, just that, you know, I I didn't totally buy his (laughs) extreme... Hatred for people who uh don't pick up nope. the the cake
1: <laughs> um, I agree
3: with you uh, with the Chris Penn too, like it just sort of it's just like he snaps, I get it, he's under stress and whatever, but it just is like, whoa, I was not expecting that at all, and it just it just sort of does it i don't know kind of takes you out of the element just a little bit, maybe?
2: Yeah, people do some extreme things in this movie, seemingly out of nowhere.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't when, know. When, when, you, when you look back, uh, uh, you can see, but it's not really, they don't you know, shine a light on it, how when he's always listening to uh, Jennifer Jason Sleeve's phone calls, he, you can see he's pissed off about him, but it doesn't do anything. So it's something brimming inside him, maybe yeah. hatred for women or something like that. But it's not, it's very... Um, Is not underlined or in in any way. So, so.
2: I would I would think almost the uh, ending result of that would be him having sex with the woman. I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't seem it seems a little out of place that he would explode in that way. Um, mm.
4: Well, he.
5: He did seem extremely socially awkward. Like, obviously, anyone next to Robert Downey Jr. is going to seem socially (laughs) awkward. Robert Downey Jr. does what Robert Downey Jr. does, and he does it well. But, yeah, he just seems to be this sort of powerless sort of lug. And, uh, I mean... I don't know if I buy the murder, but yeah, like the, if it, like you said, if it went towards a, like a rape, um, angle or something, mm-hmm. i for some reason I find that, uh, I agree. Uh, I find that more susceptible. I want to bring up the, um, the one thing that no one has talked about and, and that's the, um, the jazz singer and, uh, uh, and her oh, yeah. daughter, uh, does anyone have <laughs> any thoughts on that particular thread?
2: Well, that was going to be another mention of odd motivation for me, um, is the, the daughter's suicide. Mm. Uh, I, I just, like, I guess I can see it. I am I mean, but w- we didn't really get very much from her to see that build up, I don't think, other than, you know, the, the hand crushing the, the drink, the glass in the sink and whatnot. I mean... And
1: when she jumped to the pool as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's, like, I, I guess her mother doesn't love her as much as she'd like, and, um...
1: Well... Apparently, uh, that would be is, melodrama been, for me. Uh, apparently the character ha- had been doing that for quite a while because when she jumps in the pool naked, the, her mother comes and she says, I hate it when you do that. And so she is doing these false alarms.
0: And there's another example of, uh, Chris Penn having more pent up sexual frustration. He's watching this yeah. naked chick in the pool.
4: For me, the most interesting part about that entire thread is the fact that she she plays plays a a, um, cello, which you have to have have good fingers fingers for, for, and she plays plays basketball, basketball too. too.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
4: seems a little dangerous.
5: (laughs) I loved the fact that um, the movie shows the mom, who's a jazz... The actress is a jazz singer in real life, actually. The movie shows the mom completely be indifferent to the death of the next door neighbor's boy. And then within four minutes, she has to deal with the, um, like four minutes of movie time. Uh, Mm -hmm. she has to deal with the, um, with the death of her own daughter. I just, I mean, it was worth whatever convolutedness they had to do to, 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 uh, juxtapose those two deaths and, and, and show a character, um, radically like radically different behavior to uh, to two incidents that are literally next door <clears throat> I, I i liked that I, I i thought it was it's not something i guess like omar said it's not something you see in a movie very often and the the joy of having everything so connected in this movie is that you actually um you bubble to the surface a lot of things that no other movie to my knowledge has ever done because you get to you get to send these echoes and reverberations through the film uh, and bounce them off of a bunch of different story threads. And I, again, I, I would put this near the top, if not the top of Robert Altman's incredibly broad career because the movie's unique in its complexity, and it's not even unique just for getting there. It It is... I can't think of anything uh, for me. I, I don't see anything whatsoever wrong. I, I mean even the – I kind of come from – I can kind of see Jay's point of view of a few things look convoluted. But again, when you're making a movie and you're telling a story and, and, and you're, you're, you're throwing out bizarre points of morality and connection and, and existentialism and all, all the different things, I, I mean the movie just gives the viewer tons and tons and tons of stuff to chew on. And it has a huge emotional content as well. It's not just a brainy movie. It's not just a good-looking movie. It's not just a movie of fantastic acting. But it's a, it's, um, it's an emotional movie as well. I It's rare that you can have everything in, in a movie. And uh, Shortcuts comes pretty darn close to giving you everything.
1: Mm. But that was one thing I just didn't buy at all in this movie. And uh, I don't think anyone loves Captain Planet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I agree with that. I think that was just like a, uh, uh, some sort of like connection to the whole crop spraying thing or something, you know?
2: Well, it was interesting that there was a lot of weird stuff on the television sets. Like when, uh, uh, what's his face is cutting up the furniture with a chainsaw. There's just footage of power tools on the TV. And there's some other cases of that throughout the movie. Where... There's
1: also, I, I noticed uh, the trauma classic Monster in the Closet playing on TV. Really? And one, yeah. You when, know, what I... Uh, when, uh, what's his name, Fred Ward comes home. From nice. T-shirt.
2: I've never actually that seen that, that movie.
1: That is why fun.
5: Henry Gibson was cast in Magnolia. Oh, what a connection. <laughs> <laughs> Henry Gibson has got a little role, a fabulous little role in Monster in the Closet, so... Oh, um.
1: man.
2: All I remember from that movie is it seemed the trailer for it seemed to be on every horror movie that my parents ever rented for me, and it was just monster in the closet over and over. I gotta it's check a fun that movie,
5: out. and you'd like it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but uh, but I um, I never saw that. Where is that in the movie?
1: It's uh, when uh, Fred Ward comes home, uh, his wife is asleep, and he oh right, right. His, right. from the his, from finger. the finger, yeah. When he, he uh, compares the uh, smell of vaginas to fish.
5: Yes.
4: <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, that's that's fascinating in the in the sense that I have seen Magnol or sorry shortcuts uh, several times and I never ever noticed mm. television in. I never noticed that there were any TVs on. And usually I'm looking for that in movies. Uh, so that's that's kind of interesting. I mean, kudos for actually spotting the shows <laughs> on top of that. <laughs>
2: Um, yeah. I, another issue of motivation, I thought, was with Francis McDormand's character. Um, I didn't totally understand. Uh, like, I don't know if she's just, you know, uh, naturally leaning towards cheating on people, um, or if I miss something. But uh, I, I don't know what was driving her to, you know, uh, keep hooking up with different men and
5: financial comfort. Yeah, I I assume she just had three three guys on the table or two guys after her husband left her, and that and they provided her with the things she needed. I I looked at the guys as just being sort of means to an end of whatever she wanted to do herself. Even her son didn't overly seem crucial to her existence. She just wanted to be comfortable and
1: and well, he, he didn't, didn't care well. her at all
5: as well. No, he didn't. Mm.
3: Uh, Well, one thing that hasn't been touched on, which I didn't actually, I didn't notice it. It doesn't have anything to do really with the story itself, but I didn't notice it the first time I watched it, and then I I was kind of skimming over it again, um, are the different ways that Altman transitions in between each scene, and there's some really, really weird cuts, like uh, like Kurt already mentioned, uh, the Matthew Modine clown scream, and right in the middle of that cut, it... Or right in the middle of that scream, it just cuts away quickly, and um, it goes it goes off to something really serious. And then there's another scene where um, Julianne Moore is painting uh, Madeline Stowe, and they're naked, and then Matthew Modine leaves the room, and they both just, there's this close-up on their face of this like yeah. maniacal laugh. And it doesn't doesn't allow they don't allow for the laugh to go away it just cuts immediately right in the middle of this like really creepy julianne moore um, hysterical laughter and it cuts right to the hospital scene where it's really somber and and sad so there's those kind of cuts but then later on in the movie there's all these, these really smooth transitions like um in the jazz club it's really smoky and then it'll sort of slowly focus in on the jazz singer and the smoke, and then all of a sudden it'll go to the patio and the barbecue is smoking. And then it goes from that to the garage uh, where the girl's killing herself, where all the, you know, the exhaust fumes are in that car. So the smoke um, m- sort of merges into each other in each scene. And and there's a bunch of those, too. Like, it'll cut from different people having sex a couple times. And I don't know, it was just really cool. Or music was another thread that, that would tie different scenes together somebody would be listening to music then it would go to the jazz club then it would go to the girl playing the cello and then it would go to somebody else like listening to a radio or something and there was just really interesting ways of doing different cuts whether it was really frantic and or, or quick or really smooth like that so I just I, I didn't pick up on it the first time and then the second time it just shot out like a you know like a sore thumb it was pretty cool I like that mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. there's, a, I, I think also, which is something I like in Magnolia, the way it cuts around, it uh, doesn't wait until scenes wrap or, or come to a, some sort of conclusion. It's almost like as the movie goes on, the closer it gets to the end, the faster we revisit every story. And it it like near the beginning, we're seeing full acts in these stories, but near the end, we're cutting between all of them in mid story, you know what I mean and it, this is something that uh stood out for me in Magnolia, especially that one like I don't know forty five minute chunk where it's the same music piece playing, and you're cutting between all of these different uh things that are going on, and it's almost the. Way it, it cuts abruptly, rather than trying to transition. Uh, so you know you'll have someone uh, introduce some element in one story, and it it will hang you on that, and then we'll introduce another thing here, then then come back to that thing. Uh, it just it just kind of built up this sort of uh, l- like energy in in the the cutting between scenes without really there being any really solid uh energy within each scene i guess uh like you can just really tell when things are starting to pick up that something is going to happen that it's leading up to something and in no real clue other than the fact that the the cutting has changed Mm -hmm.
5: Mm -hmm. at the same time i mean it's not uh, the beauty of shortcuts compared to Most films that take on incredibly ambitious structures is that I didn't at any point think that Shortcuts did anything showy. I thought Altman showed a lot of restraint. Like, yet I know if you watch the film a bunch of times, there are a lot of things that you can tease out. But when you watch it, it's not like um, uh, you know, like jarring things. When like the first time I watched Shortcuts, I, I found that it played just. Like, smooth. It just played very smooth. And and, and uh, to be honest, I don't think I ever consciously noticed the radical cutting strategy until you guys pointed it out, which I find fascinating that um, the movie does offer a lot of things for a lot of different... Because there's so much to... You know, you can... It's like uh, watching that movie Time Code where you've got four screens going at the same time on the screen that you can... Your focus can really... Um, like 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 Marina said, you can be uh, thinking about one story, and it, it's not really that big of a deal if you miss some part of another story because it the movie lets you do whatever you want with it. It's it's very cool with that. It doesn't punish you um, <clears throat> for ignoring one storyline, focusing on another, or doing this or doing that. Um, whereas I think some movies uh, punish you if you don't follow their script, so to speak.
2: Uh, I think in in terms of being showy this this isn't really a showy element but um and i guess it's kind of more of a trademark of altman's i i suppose but there is a a ton of zooms and you know this this kind of film isn't something especially being shot in 1993 uh it's unusual i would think to have as many zooms as this movie has like Generally, I I would think for the most part you would avoid uh, uh, something like a Zoom, um, yeah, Altman, but you know Altman that's Munch. what he does. Yeah, and yeah, I
5: mean like the player, right? <clears throat> I mean he he not only with the player, uh, he not only does the video visual zooms, he does the audio zooms, right? Where you where you where the audio track goes through multiple conversations.
2: Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, yeah, it's something that's his thing, but it's definitely different. I mean, it, it's a little more showy than just, you know, shooting the, the scene uh, locked off, I guess, but it works. I mean, there's, there's certain points where the zooms are a little faster and almost remind me of, you know, a, a Scorsese kind of thing, where as someone walks through a door, the camera, you know, kind of trucks in on them, but in this case zooms in on them.
5: But it's not really as in-your-face as something like uh, Kubrick's Barry Lyndon, where the zooms become metatextual. I mean, like, the zooms, it's impossible when you watch Barry Lyndon to to ignore the zooms. The zooms are, they they actually overbear the characters. <laughs> uh, whereas, yeah, I mean, I, I guess... I, I find in shortcuts they're pretty subtle.
2: Yeah, I, I assume because most of the time he's using zooms, it's in mid-conversation. Whereas with Kubrick, he's, uh, a lot of the times he used a zoom... It's in like a giant symmetrical room, starting on a character and pulling out or pushing in or, or whatever. In this case, you know, one I can remember specifically. There's a, a scene where between Tim Robbins and Andy, or Tim Robbins and what's her face. Either way, yeah, there, yeah, and uh, there's a phone conversation. And the entire the entire dialogue, the the camera pushes like zooms in on this phone, and you don't really notice it because there's other things going on and it's not like the shot is composed to accommodate the zoom. It's more of just a a kind of subconscious thing where you're just constantly pushing in on things. Um, You know, so it's not as showy, I guess, as something that like Kubrick would do, but it's definitely different than just locking the camera off and shooting it as a, a straight forward
0: yeah like drama i i did think that for the most part it was it didn't really draw much attention to how it was shot like occasionally you might notice some of the things you're talking about but i thought for the most part it was just a very uh kind of laid back very deliberate um you know like like you said there'd be like some zooms or just some sort of panning and stuff like that but it it, it felt like very i don't know It just added to the flow of the film i guess um but I don't know, I haven't seen much other of Altman's stuff, so I don't really know how it compares to his other stuff. But Kurt, you're saying you think this is like one of his best films?
5: I I, I mean, everyone has. The, I mean, like loads of people love McCabe and Mrs. Miller, and uh, a lot of people love actually A Prairie Home Companion, the film he closed on, and then MASH and Nashville. I mean, the guy's just got a wealth of great films, but... I don't know. I, shortcuts kind of brings. I mean, it, it, it has the advantage of being multiple stories, so you can see it through a lot of things. But it, it it brings a lot of what he does together. However, the one thing I think it's missing that I find in a lot of his other films is an anger and a cynicism. I, I didn't find shortcuts to be particularly angry or particularly cynical. I mean, yeah, there's they, they tease it out, but um, I mean, ultimately. Uh, the way the, the helicopters and the earthquake and, and, and a bunch of other things, it actually says, you know, that we're all in this together. Now, given that the girl gets killed and the boy gets killed, but I think there's more goodness than um, uh, to badness that balances it out. And the, the the one thing that I'd like to ask everyone here is, I mean, overall, when you watched Shortcuts, when it was done, when the credits were rolling, um, did you have a like what was your overall emotional response to the movie was there too many stories and too many different things that they go into that you just were like wow that was interesting and you know next movie or or did you you know were you put under the spell or what was your the the overall like reaction to um to shortcuts when it when it ended
0: well, I I can say that um, I did think that maybe there was a few too many stories, but um, this kind of ties in a bit with how I felt about I Heart Huckabees as well in that there was just so much going on that it was kind of hard to pick out um, if there was sort of like a central theme or something like that. Like, the only thing that I was thinking, and I don't know, maybe this is just completely, you know, I'm just imagining this, but, I mean, the title's called Shortcuts, And it felt to me like maybe it was kind of trying to say that everybody's kind of like cheating in life somehow, but um, I don't know. That was really all I kind of got out of it. Other than that, the the sort of randomness of the end of the movie kind of makes you think that there is no rhyme or reason to the whole thing.
3: um, I'm kind of on board with that sentiment. I, you know, when it all was said and done, I didn't have much of an emotional response to it at all. I really like the movie, but you know like like I said in the beginning, I don't know that it, it I don't know that it's really trying to say anything other than kind of on a scene by scene basis and what you pull out and what stories you like and what characters you like or don't like. Um, that's the most I got out of it as far as something really deep or meaningful. like to me personally, I like Magnolia much better. Maybe it's a lesser film, but it's like Kurt said, it's it's got that melodrama amped up, and it just pulls you in so much more. Where this one is just kind of, I don't want to say it's just there, but you know, it's not quite as in depth, it's not quite as gripping. Um, and so when it when the, everything was said and done, I went, yeah, that was a really good movie, but you know, I don't I don't have anything deep or profound, or didn't come away looking at anything differently from it. So. That that was me. But again, I, I did really like the movie.
4: My first yeah. thought was, wow, that was really long. <laughs> I'm glad it's over. Um, I did like it, but my other thought was, wow, wow Tim wow. Robbins can play a really good asshole. Yeah. And that was about it. <laughs> to, be all, <laughs> to be completely honest, I mean, I enjoyed it, but it's not something i watch again anytime soon. Just yeah. wasn't my cup of tea.
1: Fair enough i i i i really like the film it um it probably doesn't you know it doesn't have much of, a, of an impact on you it, um it like i said before it, it flows through pretty effortlessly and uh, uh probably doesn't you know leave much behind but um and also the fact that almost none of the stories have any closure of any kind and um but uh but you know everybody you know, aside from I love it, was great in it, and uh especially t- t- Tom Waits, who i who he haven't mentioned yet, but uh he was i don't genius. know he, <clears throat> genius, genius genius, genius, although he's, he's right. just playing himself but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was also you know fascinated by Julian Moore's day glow pubes and the <laughs> I mean, oh man, you, nobody <laughs> mentioned that
3: you get to see Huey Lewis's penis either.
1: Yeah, there's yeah, a lot of bad. a lot of nudity in this film. Uh-huh.
4: I pretended uh, I didn't see that.
1: <laughs> I mean, you could you could cut off that bush and go to a rave of that. I mean, it it's <laughs> <so too good. laughs>
2: Well, the awesome. the casting is interesting because you know, there's a lot of stars in this, but there's a lot of uh, musicians in this movie. I mean, you've got Tom Waits, La Lovett, mm-hmm. Huey Lewis, that jazz singer. I assume the girl who played the cello is a cello player. Because she didn't. She
5: is, but she's also an actress as well. She's more an actress than a cello player. But she is a She does play cello professionally as well. Yeah.
2: I mean, because the jazz singer, like, she was good, but she certainly doesn't have the acting chops that everyone else in the film has. And I would say the same about Huey Lewis and Lyle Lovett. Tom Waits, I think, can carry his own. But uh, it's an interesting choice to, um, you know, cast these people that. Maybe in the case of the jazz singer, can sing uh, as being an important element rather than casting someone who is a, a very good actress but can't sing.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that uh, that cello player was Daryl Hannah most of the time. So did I. Yeah, they looked exactly the same
2: and freakishly tall.
1: Yeah. Uh also I wanted to ask has anybody seen the uh film Jindabine or Bean* the that, that's based no, on the film. F- yeah yeah the 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 one that's based on the fishing story No with, uh no, uh, no, no. Interested, interested to see it
5: I want to see it because it was yeah it was based on the one Raymond Carver story uh, but it seems to uh tack on some serial killer element or something uh, on top oh, really? of the story, which um, I kind of don't like it. I, yeah, I looked at it as it was the, the, the um, Buck Henry, Huey Lewis, Fred uh, Ward mixed with Picnic at Hanging Rock because it was in Australia and the, the mm. symbol for the film was that. But I, I, it was, I don't know. It was one of those movies that went under the radar. So I haven't, I haven't actually uh, seen the movie, but I certainly want to. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. All right, well, um, does anybody have any final thoughts? Do we want to move on to I Heart Huckabees?
5: I wanted to add that, that, I don't know, I think that the the reason why Shortcuts works for me so well because it's one of the rare American movies that even though there's lots of big drama and lots of big events in it, um, it actually plays like real life to a large extent and i know a lot of it seems to be that the north american sentiment towards film is that you you know you often go to films to escape or 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 fit into something that 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 you have no you know experience something that you couldn't experience otherwise but i love shortcuts for the fact that and then like like um uh, someone said that there's no closure and and uh things cut away at arbitrary points and and you don't always understand everything and, and whatnot. It just, it's one of those rare movies that, uh, that, that feels like, uh, uh, uh like life. I, I, I like that element about the movie, if nothing else.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, um so any other final thoughts or should we move on? Um,
1: I'm, I'm good.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm good too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, film number two was I heart Huckabees. Now this, I believe was, uh, nominated by uh, listener drew, correct? Correct. Um, and yeah, I think it's actually was a really good choice. Um, now I personally, I had seen this a while back and I was a little disappointed with it, but, um, I was looking forward to revisiting it and, uh, you know, it's directed by David O. Russell, who um, he hasn't done uh, a ton of stuff, but I guess, you know, Three Kings maybe would be his most uh, well-known film. Um, and, uh, of course, this movie also ha- now has sort of a, a reputation for the infamous uh, freak-out scene that leaked online of David O. Russell getting in a massive argument with Lily Tomlin. Um, so, um, you know, after having seen that it was a little bit interesting as well. Um, but uh, I don't know, maybe do you guys want to just sort of go around and give uh, some initial impressions of I Heart Huckabee's? Huckabees?
3: Well, first off, let me give a big shout out to all our listeners in Burnsville, Egan, Bloomington, Apple Valley, and the surrounding area who managed to go to every single blockbuster and snap up every single copy of I Heart Huckabees. So I'm glad all you guys are listening because it took me a, shitload of a long time to find a store <laughs> that this movie was not checked out of wow so i'm glad wow. we have all those listeners in the area that's that's yeah, great
0: that's huge
3: um well okay well anyway i'll continue since you asked sure um i am I'm, I'm with you like uh i watched it the first time i saw this was in the theater and it was one of the first reviews that i actually wrote you know for on for a, a website. And I went back and read that review and it said, yeah, generally, I kind of like the movie. I didn't really know what was going on and, and whatnot. I'm really anxious to see it again before, um, you know, before making any real judgments. I, I think it's a movie that definitely needs to be seen a second time. And having seen it a second time, I can say that I, I don't really like this movie at all. I, I border on hate it I don't hate it but it's it's close um, it, it's just so it's so unfocused I think is the best adjective I can describe. Um, I have tons of things to say about it but generally just that's what I wanted to say to start it off with is seeing it once I just was like huh I'm not sure what that was kind of scratching my head second time it's it's convoluted and not funny enough to warrant. The hour and 45 minutes that it takes to, to sit through the convolutedness.
5: Okay. Well, let me just say that for me, this movie is as close to the Big Lebowski for sublime rewatchability as Fuck off. any other movie I kid you not Eat shit. I, I love this movie as as a as a rewatch movie as a funny movie as a like this movie should be a cult movie if it isn't um, I, I think this movie's damn near perfect in every single freaking okay. way I, I love everything about this movie and I will I will defend it as best as I can even if you're all freaking against me. <laughs>
0: B- uh, but you love movies that don't make any sense, right?
5: This movie makes perfect sense. Everything <laughs> is connected.
0: Well, um, maybe I'm hoping I'm hoping you can uh, explain this all to us. I don't know, actually. I did watching a second time. There were certainly things that I picked up on that I didn't pick up on the first time. That said, um, I was still kind of like, okay, so what? Like it just the way the movie goes back and forth, and I, maybe that's the point that it's back and forth on these two differing philosophies all the time that you're kind of like, okay, so what's, what's the answer? And maybe that's, that's all there is to say that there is no answer. But I don't know. That's kind of lame for, you know. I
4: like, I like movies that are reflective of, you know, what are we doing here? They ask the bigger questions. This one makes no freaking sense whatsoever. <laughs> Drew, man, I hate you for making me watching watch this. Movie. <laughs> Seriously, this was painful. painful.
3: It's like making it's um it's it's sort of making fun of that bigger question. You know what you know, I
4: mean? It's, I it, which it is, is fine, but it's.
3: I'm sorry. Go ahead. You no,
4: know, I was just gonna say it seems to me like it's trying to be smarter than it really is. Like, he's got all of these ideas about existentialism and, you know, what are we really doing here? And I don't care if you're making fun of it. If you, if are, you are, you're doing a really piss-poor job about it.
3: <laughs> See, I, I, I mean, I agree with you that it's bad, but I don't agree that – I don't think he's really trying to give out these mm-hmm. messages. I think those, those messages or existential theories or whatever are just sort of there to be funny and, uh, and just well, sort of – no, they don't work. I mean, there's some funny moments. I definitely laugh a few times, especially with Jason Schwartzman and Mark Wahlberg's amazing in this. Well, amazing as Mark Wahlberg can be. Um, but, but, yeah, I, I don't – I tried to just avoid the whole existential thing. Maybe it's because I've seen it one time and the second time I knew that that stuff was all going to go over my head anyway. I don't think it's meant to be – I think it's supposed to be sort of farcical and sort of making fun of itself in that way but agreed with you that I don't, I don't think it works at all. Jay.
2: Um, I, I, the, the movie makes a lot more sense to me watching it a second time. It's been quite a while since I've watched it and I didn't hate the movie. Um, it, it, I don't love the movie. I, <laughs> as far as David O Russell, I love three Kings and, yeah. um, much more than this film. Uh, one thing that is kind of disappointing for me with this movie is i didn't think it was visually that interesting um the the scenes where he gets into the the bag and uh has those moments um i didn't think were very inspired i thought they could have been a little more interesting yeah they, uh,
0: it seems like they just kind of threw it together <laughs> yeah. yeah to make something look weird and that was it
2: like, yeah or or the you know that point where their faces start kind of going into blocks and coming together uh, stuff like that. I, I could have, I think in the hands of someone like Michelle Gondry could have been a lot more interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. but having said that, I, I think the performances are what drive this film and, you know, whether or not the story is convoluted or hard to follow or, or whatever. I do get something out of Mark Wahlberg and Jason Schwartzman. And I, I get a lot out of Lily Tomlin and, and, uh, Dustin Hoffman's characters. um, and, you know, some of the ridiculousness of, you know, Jason Schwartzman making out with that woman in mud and, and hitting each other with the the balls. But uh, my probably my favorite scene is the dinner scene with uh, the Sudanese yes. man. And, and, and Jonah Hill. Yeah, and Jonah weird. Hill.
3: Uh, he was hilarious.
5: And Richard Jenkins. And I don't know who the actress is that plays the mom. I don't know her name, but she's, she's from tons and tons of stuff.
2: She's from Designing Women.
5: Mm-hmm. She's she's fantastic. But first, before we get into that scene, which I, I also agree is the, my, my favorite scene in the film. But before we get into that, I want to say that you guys are all insane. Um, <laughs> or you guys don't watch enough uh, Preston Sturges films or uh, that Howard Hawks stuff from the, from the 30s and 40s. Because David O. Russell uh, is one of the few directors outside of the Coen brothers uh, that that make screwball comedies. I mean, you look at his whole filmography, uh, well, maybe you can skip Spanking the Monkey, but um, the second film was Flirting with Disaster, which is Patricia Arquette, Tia Leone, and Ben Stiller, um, and it's about a guy trying to find his the parents that abandoned him because he's adopted, and uh, it, it just gets... Lupier and loopier. It's a true screwball comedy. Then Three Kings makes the Gulf War into a screwball comedy. Uh, I mean, it's particularly the first half of Three Kings. Um, and uh, and now this one is his ultimate example of a full-on screwball comedy. And what makes it even better is that the main thing that, that connects the existential elements with the nihilistic elements, the two competing philosophies in the movie, is the emphasis on the absurd. And the movie's absurd for that very reason. I think it's actually beautiful, the way it comes together. And while I agree completely with you that this movie is not trying to throw any coherent philosophy on you, or it's not trying to teach you in any way, it's a... What is more funny than... The search for meaning it is it that's hilarious I, I think that is a one of the best things for comic uh, f- uh fodder <clears throat> and no one really i can't think of a lot of movies lately that that have done that and i i love the way he skims the surface of philosophy he never digs it deep but i mean it's a screwball comedy it's not supposed to dig deep it, it, it for what i think what it's trying to do it does it Absolutely perfect. I, I I agree that the maybe the special effects and 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 that don't you know make an overly lasting impression. And and probably the only what the fuck bad moment in the movie for me is when Jason Schwartzman is being breastfed by Jude Law. That scene is just <laughs> terrifying. Um, but for that matter, I find the way it treats its humor. I mean, I laugh from beginning to end with this movie. What I have to say about IHRHB's is you rock. Rock <laughs>
4: <laughs> You're twisted, man. You're so twisted. This is so not funny. Come on. You have to hear
5: you can't. how can you not laugh at Dustin Hoffman saying, Come on, you don't have time for infinity? I mean that is really
0: <laughs> Actually I just didn't That laugh.
5: is awesome. That is that is <laughs> like the
0: I I do agree uh, with joke. I do agree with Kurt. Like I I still think it's a funny movie, and I'm kind of with Jay in that I think a lot of it comes from the, the performances. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's some classic stuff in here, like the dinner scene you guys already brought up. But I think my favorite part is right when they walk out the door, and Mark Wahlberg looks over and he's like, "What was going on in there?" Like as if they were the crazy <laughs> ones, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. that's just like perfect. But. Um, my-
4: my favorite character in the entire film has to be Naomi Watts. I, I don't know why she is appealing in a bonnet. <laughs> don't ask me why. She cracks me up. I don't know why. But she's Plus, the only she thing says
5: fuckabees.
4: <laughs> that is true. She does say
3: fuckabees. Funny, she's my least favorite character in the movie. Like... um. I don't – when she just start, she just sort of all of a sudden goes crazy for no reason. Like, they don't explain it at all. Just all of a sudden, she just – from the moment the detectives walk into their house and start talking to them, she just sort of gets weird. And then, I don't know, kind of gets away from her for a little while, and then comes back, and she's just gone insane. All of a sudden, she's wearing overalls and a hat, and <laughs> these detectives have obviously gotten in her head. But we have no idea why or anything that – you know brought about this I that's not fair so disjointed the movie
5: hints at that at the first scene you see Naomi watch she's recording the uh, the, um, the I think ad. it I'm not sure if it's Walmart or target that they're going after with the I think it's target more than Walmart yeah. but uh, anyway um, the uh, the scene where she's doing in the studio and she's doing the um, the ad and then she's has she has her cup of coffee and she's talking through the uh, intercom to the to the director and I think they set that character up subtly and beautifully in the fact that you know she knows, um, she knows that she's empty and she there, she's, she doesn't have anything to grasp onto. So when the uh, existential detectives come around, uh, she goes on, on um, into it both barrels. I mean, I which is, which is the opposite that. of Jude Law's. I, I, that, I didn't I didn't not buy it, put it that way well, I didn't, well you know, I
3: didn't know that she was into the existential thing like i didn't i didn't I didn't see that at all. All of a sudden it just happened. I was like, oh, apparently she's been studying under these guys the whole movie I just well
5: they know. have the scene where she pours them tea and and they yeah. sit down and talk like they they, right. they set it up I, I they do set it up Maybe that's and a that's... problem
2: that it seems like everyone minus the dinner scene is on board with the existential approach. I mean, there's there's not really that I can remember anyone that contests anything they do, aside from just having different viewpoints on how it's done. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I think a lot of comedy could have came from people who who just flat out disagree with them or even if, you know, there was a, a existential detective that is just doing it to put people on or take advantage of people or that truly doesn't have any belief in in that I, I mean it's it's not not that I didn't find the movie funny not that I was overly confused um, it just sometimes borderlines on too wordy and heady and reminds me almost of like uh, uh, Noah Bombach and like his sort of you know uh, approach at at intellectuals where he, Drenches his films with with intellectuals, but makes fun of them, but kind of, you know, uh, is one himself and supports the intellectual. Uh, I mean, it's kind of uh, confusing, and and maybe I just uh, don't latch on to it very much. I mean, meaning
5: you're buried in irony, There's there's too much of an ironic distance. Uh, from things, maybe. but Yeah,
2: like, I, maybe I, it, it just needed one thing. Like, I love... That's what I love about the dinner scene is that, you know, these people that, like, Mark Wahlberg's passion about petroleum being contested by this, you know, family man. And uh, it really puts it in per- perspective both in on both sides. Because, you know, y- you've got the family man that is just this conservative guy who's closed-minded and just... You know, is is about capitalism and everything, and then you've got the exact extreme uh, in Wahlberg and Jason Short, Schwartzman's characters, and I liked that clash. I would have liked to have seen that clash a, a little more throughout the film. Well,
5: the final message in the movie is that uh, that no extreme works, right? Like the, the, the yeah. final conclusion that they that they come to when the movie like the movie ends quite abruptly, but it, it, it that's actually quite explicit in the sense that. Um, you know, finding the middle ground with people is is the only way to accept yourself and accept everything else. And uh, I mean, I mean, they certainly play it with uh, uh, Isabel Huber's, um nihilist, and and then uh, and then uh, Lily <clears throat> Tomlin and Dustin Hoffman that, that that he actually reconnects them together. And even with all the human drama and the lesson and the the, the hurt that between. Wahlberg and um uh and Schwarzman they still find a way to um uh to come together I I I think the movie actually does have a great way to play to the middle ground of course the exact opposite is the um the dinner sequence where everyone is on the absolute um extreme end of things and i love the way i you know i mean i don't know you probably bring your own politics when you're watching a movie like this in here but I, I just think that mark Wahlberg won that argument by when when they uh um richard jenkins and his wife say we brought a sudanese immigrant into our house and then he just lays into them well the whole problem over there i just love that i love that scene it reminds me very much of a todd Solondz. um uh like that, Todd Solondz would make a whole film about that dinner scene uh, and make it even creepier than, than it was but that movie really uh, that that scene makes me think of Todd Salance more than anyone else
0: well I just wanted to bring up um, Jude Law because you guys I think we've mentioned pretty much all the other actors and actresses in it but uh, Jude Law's performance I actually really liked as well and I think he is really good at you know, at the start of the movie, he's kind of an, an asshole. And then partway through, he kind of... You know, there's there's a lot of comedy that kind of comes between him with Jason Swart- Schwartzman. But then by the end of the movie, you actually start to feel sorry for him. And he's got, like, all these... Like, he just covers the, the, the whole range. And he does it so well.
1: Yeah,
5: and I think was... this is a great actor movie. Sorry, go ahead, Omar.
1: This yeah, I, I, I agree with uh, Sean there, with Jude Law. He actually... Surprised me because I usually uh he gets on my nerve. But uh he was uh promoting uh, douche in this film.
4: <laughs>
1: oh I I love Jude. I think he's great in pretty much everything.
3: I wasn't um I wasn't overly surprised by his performance. Here's here's kinda what I think about the performances. Um I think they're all pretty darn good. I think we've all established, I mean, the the acting is good and the jokes are good, but I, I think that they only aside from the dinner scene, I don't think they really work all that well together. In other words, I just I didn't I didn't feel like the chemistry was there very well with the characters. I thought they all st- stood alone really well, um, and that was something that just sort of struck me as like these characters don't really fit together very well. I don't know if it's the actors or the directing or what. And then um, I was just sort of skimming through it tonight with the the commentary on. There's a commentary with David O. Russell. Mark Wahlberg, Jason Schwartzman, and I think Naomi Watts. And there's a scene where Schwartzman is talking about the fact that there's a scene where he has to yell at Dustin Hoffman and get angry with him, and he just couldn't do it. He, he, he worshipped um, Dustin Hoffman too much, so he couldn't do it, and he, and he told Dustin this off or something. And Dustin said, well, when you have a dog, and the dog pees on the floor, you know what do you do? And Jason Schwartzman says, well, I, I say, bad dog, bad dog. <laughs> and Dustin Hoffman says, okay. In this scene, pretend I'm a dog peeing on your living room floor. And as <laughs> Jason Schwartzman's like, so that's what I did. And it was a really great pointer. And I think that explains why I didn't think the chemistry works. I was like, oh. So to get through this scene, you had to pretend that Dustin Hoffman was a dog taking a shit on your living room floor. And I, I don't think he was saying it as a joke. I'm, he was saying Dustin, it like this is Dustin. a real pointer that he got from dustin hoffman and so dustin
5: hoffman being one of the world's most extreme examples of method actor and that that's not yeah. a surprise i i suppose i just think
3: that that explains a lot of the reason why maybe the chemistry just didn't work it's like jason schwartzman and, and adrian brody can get together or he can get together with owen wilson and it works great and then when he but with dustin hoffman or, or lily tomlin like these legends it just it didn't it just didn't gel very See, well.
5: It, it works for me perfectly because the movie is designed to be the theater of the absurd. And, uh, I mean, it's supposed to be absurd. It's not supposed to be smooth or... I mean, I know that sounds like the most apologetic excuse in the world for the movie, but, I mean, it's written into the fabric of the movie. It's so... That's the tone that they're in for. Just listen to the score and the changes, the shifts in the score over the course of the movie. And by the way, the score for this movie is really, really good.
0: Yeah, actually, that's one thing I had forgotten. I love the, the music in this.
5: I think the guy did um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and um, and a bunch of other... Um, what's his name? Uh, John Bryan. So he did... Uh, he did Eternal punch
0: drunk Sunshine... Love.
2: Yeah.
5: Punch Drunk Love, which has a... He did Magnolia, of all things. He Actually, did the done... breakup. <laughs> <laughs> he did, <Whoa>. oddly <laughs> enough. But, I mean, just... the, the Especially the opening and closing, um, you know, the do-do-do-do-do... I don't know, I can't do it, but whatever. Uh, the, the opening and closing bits of the score uh, are different from the middle of the film, uh, and uh, I, I liked that. I, I, I absolutely, musically... I I love this movie to death. And and one other thing I wanted to bring up, and you guys can comment or not, is what's with the crazy, weird-ass casting of Tippi Hendren and um, the actress who plays um, Rocky's wife.
3: um, Talia Shire.
5: Talia Shire.
3: Uh, (laughs) Neither one of them
5: really do much in the movie.
3: Well, she is Jason Schwartzman's mom, which I just found out tonight, too.
2: That's in why she's life, in
3: the movie. Yeah, in real life.
2: You guys didn't know that?
3: So she plays his mom in the movie. No, I had no idea. Rocky's it's wife no cool. is Jason Schwartzman's mom.
2: See, that's, that's how this movie's working. It's on working on levels where in order to get the jokes, you have to know the family tree of the <laughs> actors.
5: <laughs> it's all connected. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. And then... Shania Twain, of course, but uh, she was terrible. High. Yeah, yeah she was. But but she's, but so she's designed. <laughs> she's again, she's designed to be terrible. I, the one thing I should mention in this movie, besides the dinner scene, which brings a lot of it into focus, is that the movie does actually tackle a lot of, you know, late twentieth century, early twenty first century um, issues. I mean, there's Mark Wahlberg, who's a firefighter, who they, they do actually mention i think isabel hubert says oh that thing in september they do reference september 11th but they also talk a lot about suburban sprawl and um corporations taking over um causes for pr and uh um and rampant consumerism there's that great scene with uh the actor who again he's one of these character actors i totally recognize but don't know his name he plays uh, talia shire's husband in the movie while they're having this big emotional family meltdown he's obsessed with programming his stereo I, I just details like that how people can disengage because they willfully do not want to think about the big questions i think at some point in the movie uh, Mark Wahlberg says, you know, how come we only think about the big questions when something bad happens and then 10 minutes later we forget about it? I, I love that. I, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, the short attention span um, uh, media sphere that that, that, that distracts <clears throat> you on every level. I think that's covered very well in this movie. In, in, and it does it all scribbling in the margins. It's by no means the main focus. I, I liked that a lot about the movie.
0: I I did like that as well. I just kind of thought I don't know. It didn't really add up to much in the end for me. I guess you know, like all the all the issues and things that they kind of touch on. It's almost like well, they're just sort of there, either for for humor's sake or to add a little color to the characters. But you know, they're like you said, they're not the main focus. So um, I don't know. I, but how
5: many? But how many comedies get to break out all of these things? Like, I, I just love the f- the fact that the, the, the movie just uh, basically has uh, – and I must admit, this is a weakness. I, I, I forgive movies for this all the time, that the movie just grabs a handful of interesting marbles and just flings them in the air and says, woo. <laughs> I like that. I think Huckabees is a good example, like Southland Tales and a bunch of other films.
2: Crawl. <laughs> oh. <laughs> always,
3: always comes back to crawling, do not <laughs>
2: Yeah, I can see that point. I mean, I it the movie is chaotic and I, I enjoy chaotic films sometimes. I, I uh it kinda reminds me not really in any thematic way, but just in in how it plays of uh Michelle Gondry's human nature. Uh in that it just explores really out there ideas and uh doesn't really do it to um with with the audience in mind, uh and just is just weird moments and weird characterizations and visuals and whatnot. Um so I mean I can appreciate that and you know, I, I no, I I didn't laugh as much in, in this movie as I uh did, you know, in another great movie that deals with the meaning of uh life and who we are and what we are, which is Jackass. And Jackass too; uh, <laughs> those are, are great films. But the this movie, I, I don't know. I guess I think because I went into it off of the whole Michelle Gondry, Spike Jones thing. Like this came out kind of in that whole like being John Malkovich, uh, Eternal Sunshine. Like somewhere in between those two, yeah. and his connection, David O. Russell's connection to those filmmakers kind of put this maybe unfairly in that league and and it is kind of in there but i think especially being john malkovich uh it's a little less focused and i i guess on purpose uh but just doesn't work as well for me as as those two films do
0: yeah
1: i, uh, I the I, biggest I, problem uh with this film for me was uh it felt like, like, Kurt, you said that it was like, uh, you know, theater. Um, what do you call it? Of uh, the absurd. Yeah, because I hate theater. I I have no patience for it, and I just can't get into it. And right from the start, this movie felt like a, uh, a yeah, a shitty play, a pretentious, fucking, uh, just. Awful shit. And, uh, um, <laughs> I mean, I, my girlfriend is going to kill me if she hears this because she's studying to be an actress and loves the theater and drags. So you're me. saying
5: that uh, you don't like Tom, or Tom Stoppard either?
1: <laughs> no. <Rosencrantz>
5: and Gildenstern.
1: <laughs> no, well, I mean, the, it, uh, the problem for me with theater is I can't connect. I just can't get into the. The situations, the acting, the characters, or nothing, because I know they're acting. I know they're performing, just the way they perform. And there was the same vibe I got from this film, because they act too much. I think, I, um, especially Jason Schwartzman, and uh, and I just, I don't know. It just, it didn't gel with me in any way. I, I yeah. mean. There's there are a few things I like about it. it. I didn't hate it as much as I did the first time. Uh, the first time I watched it, I, I turned it off. I just I just couldn't stand it, and and now I forced myself through it. And I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. But and like I said, like uh, like everybody said, the dinner scene is is really good stuff. Uh, but that was about it. And uh, I, I, I like. Uh, People say it's like – I feel like it's a bargain basement Michel Gondry project and uh, done on stage. And I just I just couldn't connect to it in any way really. I think the
5: theatrical elements are fully intentional. I mean I, I think that was a – I haven't listened to the commentary. But I, I think the, the the way especially um, Lily Tomlin and uh, Dustin Hoffman and Isabel Hubert are – and Jason Schwartzman for that matter um, – I think that theatricality the 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 sort of stage acting and the and like jay said the lack of um cinematic invention in the movie is very static shots except for the opening credits which is him beautifully wandering through all the halls on that on that floor which is a great start to the film but other than that you're right the movie's very feels like it's adapted from a play which i don't believe it was in any way shape or form which is kind of interesting Mm -hmm. um But there's a nice clue to uh, Mark Wahlberg's performance in M. Night Shyamalan's *The Happening*. Here, I find (laughs) this this truly is. uh, uh, I I love Mark Wahlberg when he's like uh, like a bit petulant. Uh, I love it when he acts like a like a child that you've taken his favorite toy away. And there's so many brilliant moments in *I Heart Huckabees*, and I think that's why Mark Wahlberg's performance was praised when this movie came out. That that's the only thing I remember. When this movie came out, the the general consensus was the movie's pretentious, garbage, and unfunny. But Mark Wahlberg is awesome, and and I love Wahlberg's performance because he, his voice breaks, like he's a little bit whiny. But at the same time, he borders on the the Adam Sandler element too, where you know he can get very violent <laughs> and very very intimidating very quickly as well. And uh, I mean, I wish we would get. More I Heart Huckabee's and the happenings out of Mark Wahlberg and fewer Planet of the Apes and uh, whatever out of him, you know, because I think he
3: really is good in this. Movie. That scene where his wife is uh, leaving him and all the shits out on the lawn and it's chaos out there, that scene with Mark Wahlberg is, Berg is absolutely just gold where he just frickin' cracks that guy across the face and then turns around (laughs) and continues talking what he was talking about about the book or explaining to his daughter... About mommy's killing the people in you know, like, Somalia or whatever because she just doesn't care because she wants a fifty dollar pair of shoes. Okay, it's all bullshit, honey. That whole scene was <laughs> There's so a scene later on in the movie when Dustin or when Swartzman basically says
5: that they're going over to Isabel Hubert and he gives this long speech and Mark Wahlberg goes, A word and that <laughs> cracked me up. Just the way he says that just cracks me up to no end.
1: <laughs> well he comes from rap, so Yeah, there you go. That was a
3: Marky Mark moment. There's a few funny moments for me, but other than the few moments of laughter, and when I say a few, I mean a few. There was the dinner scene, the scene on the lawn, and maybe a couple other lines from Schwartzman and Wahlberg, and even Dustin Hoffman a couple times that had me chuckling. But other than that, I didn't get anything out of this movie. It's I didn't like it. star ratings. Anybody (laughs) want to throw one out there?
0: Well, I think
2: throw that,
3: a star rating out of what?
2: What does oh, a star rating really mean in the world? You know what I mean? Like everything.
3: Like, everything, everything. everything. <laughs> Here's the five of us in our exact thoughts. I like the way you guys do that on the film junk. You each throw it out there, and then the one guy who Greg usually. Who's off? You just say, "Oh, you're a fucking idiot." <laughs> <laughs> I will be the Greg of
4: today.
0: <laughs> Happily. Well, it, I'll uh, going with our the film junk star ratings. I think originally I gave it two and a half out of four, and I probably still stick with that. I might bump it up to a three. I don't know. I really want to like this movie, but it just. Even the second watch, it still hasn't quite grabbed me like I hoped it would.
2: What can we do to get you to bump that up to a three?
0: Um, I don't know. You're my, probably... You're gonna my have to, wife can massage <laughs> <laughs> That might be enough to put me over the edge. <laughs> but uh, nice. I do love the image, though, of uh, Dustin Hoffman and Lily Tomlin, like, sneaking, like, you know, across the lawn and digging through trash and stuff. That's pretty classic, I thought.
2: Yeah, just and the, the fact
5: that the uh, Jude Law planted philosophy books in his trash, yeah. does he really mm-hmm. be
2: doing it? <laughs> Uh I yeah. if I gave it a rating, I'd probably give it a three out of four. Okay. I I uh, I enjoyed it. I mean Yeah.
3: I, I would I would have said the first time I would have probably in fact I think I did, I'd give it a two out of four, but after the second time one and a half, maybe.
1: At the most, out of four. Yes, yeah, same here. I, I I'm just sort of pissed off. I had to shell out money for buy this shit. So I'm with Sean too. Is I,
3: I I really want to like this movie. I really wish I did like it because I love the cast and I I sort of I'm kind of on board with maybe what it's trying to do a little bit, but it doesn't doesn't work. So Marina, it's a
4: one in my, it's a one in my books.
5: Oh well, yeah. it's it's four, four out of four for me. <laughs> wow, we
0: covered Christ. the You're whole crazy. spectrum right there. <laughs> You're an idiot. I,
5: I, I, I tell you, I can watch like as many times as I've watched The Big Lebowski because I find that there's so much going on in the frame and the and, and its love of dialogue. The movie just loves to hear itself talk, just like the Coen Brothers movies, in particular The Big Lebowski. Um, and uh, yeah, I can watch Our Heart Are Bees, and I have I've seen the film about eight or nine times. I can't believe and,
3: he's <laughs> in the same sentence. So. And,
5: and I absolutely do feel that way. And I, I find it absolutely hilarious that Jay uses being John Malkovich as a yardstick for a focused film. <laughs> that, that cracks mm-hmm. me up. I love being John Malkovich, but I mean...
2: No, I I, I'm using it as it a yardstick just... for this type of film. <laughs> I mean, oh, it okay. in terms of, uh, you know, being kind of wacky, I think being John Malkovich just did it a little more artfully and subtly. Uh, and it's odd to say subtly, but it's something where, you know, being inside the head of John Malkovich was almost an afterthought in that movie. Once you get into, you know, 40 minutes into it, you just accept the fact that it's happening. Uh, which After is
5: the, one and the 13th and a half floor. Yeah. Um,
2: um, but in terms of your comparison to uh, The Big Lebowski... I would say it's like the Big Lebowski if all of the characters in the Big Lebowski were the nihilists or all of the characters were John Goodman's character. That's my issue. It's like the nihilists it'd be the nihilists movie and then they'd have a dinner scene with the dude and then they'd go back to the
0: nihilists. Yeah, there's no straight characters in I Heart Huckabees or yeah, not enough yeah. anyway.
5: Well, any any character that could conceivably straight it only has maybe a few minutes of screen time. Like, there's his parents. There's there's uh, the dad and the uh, and the mom. You know, without the reflection of of um, Wahlberg and um, Schwartzman, they would come off as normal people. I think. Um, you know, I I don't know. I I think that the movie does i think it's designed <laughs> to be clumsy i think that the the clumsiness like you said that these that being john malkovich does it more elegant but considering it the whole concept of the movie is about how clumsy people wander around their lives the 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 way it's clumsy is by design i know sound. i know this will be the third time i've said this over this thing i know that sounds like a cop-out but no that absolutely fits with What they were doing, and I think, and I think that the meta ness of Lily Tomlin uh, fighting with the director at being confused as to what to do, uh, because I think the frustration when she melted down was because she just had no friggin' idea how to play anything, because she had no idea what to make of the movie as a whole or scene by scene. But I know, I know, in in the end, and I don't think it's a PR thing, but uh, I know in the end that 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 she just said, you know that. The the, the the camera in the big meltdown is just showing things out of context and it was what happens in the moment and you know the movie had a lot of frustrating moments and they vented that day it, it wasn't like they hate each other now, you know I mean it was just what happened that day but the, it, it does magnify the fact that the actors themselves were confused as to what they were supposed to be doing but but that again i i think I don't know if David O. Russell wanted that from his actors. I don't think he necessarily wanted it, but I, I think it was a happy accident for the film.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering if, if, if that uh, role around with uh, Lily Tomlin and uh, the director is si- similar to James Caan's, uh beef with, with him, because he left his new film Nailed so after, uh, after an argument. So I wonder if, if there's any similarities between Nailed or...
5: Well, there was also a well-publicized uh, punching between him and George Clooney on the set uh, of Three Kings. True. So, uh, yeah, he does tend to... Uh, I mean, you can't make too many apologies for the guy. He's obviously um, a bit of hard to work with. But when you look at Three Kings, now, I, I, even if I step outside of I Heart Huckabees, I think it's very safe to agree that all of us love Three Kings. I mean, yes. he yes. does put out a good uh, film. Uh, he uh, does uh, know uh, how to make a good film.
1: <clears throat> that that was also one thing I was maybe surprised or uh, with when I first saw first saw I heard Huggabees with was because Three Kings is pretty straightforward in its structure and uh, and story and everything. So this is such a complete departure from formula and and and, and story well it, it and is style. actually
5: it, it is and adhering style, yeah. to a formula and style it absolutely fits a formula and style but that formula and style died in about 1950 and no one mm. makes that formula and style anymore and that's mm. perhaps the problem is that um, he's 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 essentially making an almost textbook case in a dead genre a dead genre and so people mm because it's like two generations have gone by since these movies were more commonplace and that no one has, no one gets. Um, it's just like when Guy Madden makes Careful, which is a parody of the Weimar Mountain pictures. I mean, no one watches those mountain movies that were made in Germany in, in the 20s. So how do you get the parody? Yeah, or but when Rick Moranis on SCTV... With uh, Jerry Todd used to parody video, and he was parodying video two years before anyone was watching video. (laughs) I mean, it was.
2: But I don't think it's it's, hard to laugh at. I don't think it's the the screwball comedy element that people have a problem with. I think it's the existentialism. uh, For me, I would assume. I mean, the comedy. I would think almost more screwball comedy could have helped the movie. Um, Really. But you know, I disagree. You, you, I, I
5: think you, it's entirely, entirely the screwball comedy. <laughs> I mean, the existential stuff isn't helping. But um, I, I think it's entirely the screwball comedy. I, I just don't think people know how to relate to that style of movie
1: anymore. I, th- I think it's mostly to do with uh, people don't know what the fuck is going on, basically. Uh, and, yeah, it's uh, very
3: disjointed, and um, <laughs> you have no yeah. idea what's going on. You don't. The characters don't flow well. <laughs> The story itself doesn't flow well. Characters are in and out of the, the scenes all the time or in and out of frame. You don't know. It just nothing really gels really well. But it's, it's yeah. all the blanket. Here's Paris. <laughs> Here's an orgasm.
4: No,
3: I
2: think I it. From, go ahead. Sorry,
4: go
5: ahead.
2: You go ahead. <laughs> Ladies <laughs> <Okay>. first.
4: <laughs> well, I was going to say, I think I would give it a lot more credit if it actually made me laugh. But I just didn't laugh enough.
1: Yeah, same here.
2: The, yeah, the, the the interesting thing, though, is that I would think this is a movie that would open up the possibilities of doing something visually interesting and visually over the top when it's interesting that he doesn't go for it that much in this, but he does in Three Kings. Like Three Kings is a movie that you would think that wouldn't lend itself to over the top visuals. And he pulls it off in that movie in this movie i think it kind of missed the mark but i mean maybe he wanted to stray from that on purpose uh i don't think so because there's stuff like the breastfeeding scene and whatnot um i just think it could have been uh done a little better under different hands i guess
5: well it's funny that the um <clears throat> Three Kings, I think, was the first movie that actually on the DVD it had a disclaimer saying.
2: Yeah, the color does thing. Not
5: look. It's not because it was one of those first movies that did all the digital color timing, and they really messed with it. Um, yeah. So that, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. But again, I I'm convinced, and I, I have not listened to the commentary track, but I I would gamble that there's some. That that, that that it's mentioned somewhere on there or it's mentioned by him somewhere <clears throat> that he was aiming to make like a Preston Sturges film. So, I mean, Sturges didn't go – like they just didn't do all these special effects uh, wankery and all that kind of stuff back in the day. So um, I think he was literally aiming to make something that would have played alongside – those movies during the sort of
0: Hollywood studio system
2: but you can't say he didn't attempt to do some special effects wankery in the movie right like he does try to do that and he fails for me but
5: I read I read somewhere that all the special effects in that movie were done on three days on a friends of his Mac like that's uh, the problem I can believe that (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah you can tell that like when they were shooting it especially that part where he's like you know, look at the molecules, and there's more cracks between this and that. You can tell that they kind of shot it, and were like, "All right, we'll figure something out after." Mm-hmm. And then that's what they came up with. Yeah, but um,
3: all right. My, um, well, hey, you mind if I I close with um, just a few sentences from somebody who speaks and writes far better than I do? But I think it's perfect, and it's Roger Ebert. All right. So okay. just it's just a few sentences, and he says. Now that I've seen it twice, the movie is like an infernal machine that consumes all of the energy it generates, saving the last wad of power to turn itself off. It functions perfectly within its own constraints, but it leaves the viewer out of the loop. This may be the first movie that can can exist without an audience between the projector and the screen. It falls in its own forest and hears itself. It's the kind of movie (laughs) that would inspire a Charlie Kaufman screenplay about how it couldn't be made. And I think that is fucking brilliant. It falls in its own forest and hears itself. I think that sums it up exactly.
5: I'll tell you, though, his statement there of it projects itself with no one in between, I am in the THX seat between those things, happy (laughs) as a pig and
3: shit, watching that movie. (laughs) Oh, that's that's fine. Good Good for you, Yep.
0: (laughs) All right. So are we, uh, is that, uh, is that it? Any final thoughts?
3: That wraps it mm-hmm. up for me.
5: Yeah, I think so. We should talk about next month's movies.
0: Yes. So, um, there was, a, of course, we had a poll up again on our, our website at, uh, dot com. And the winner of that poll was, uh, fucking a all, also known as Show Me Love. Uh, so that, is going to be paired with, uh, I guess we decided, Heavenly Creatures, uh, Peter Jackson's Heavenly Creatures. So um, those are the two films for the next month's episode. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So um, we will also have a poll up uh, very soon for the the following episode. And so uh, we invite you to go and uh, cast your vote for that as well. Or uh, email us with any suggestions you might have. We always welcome that. Um,
3: and drop your thoughts in the comments section, too, for this thread.
0: Yes. That's weren't. kind of the
3: point, right? We want everybody to chime in on what they thought. I'd love to hear some more people defend I Heart Huckabees.
0: Yeah,
3: I, Although I doubt there is anybody.
4: I would
5: I'm, I'm going okay. to come in under a bunch of different people's names, <laughs> and yeah. have a conversation with myself.
0: Yeah. And also, I guess uh, there there weren't a ton of comments for the last episode. So, you know, if you are concerned about some of the selections we're making, um, you know, speak up. We want to know, you know, the kind of stuff that you guys would would rather watch with us and hear us discuss. So let us know.
2: I think there weren't comments just because everything was covered perfectly.
0: Yeah, we pretty much like. <laughs> yeah, pretty much yeah. that. We figured out those movies like we just solved them like that was <laughs> <it>. like <laughs> a that's fucking I jigsaw there,
3: <laughs> I was pissed about that too. I, I really liked both of those movies by the way that we that you guys did last month. I was pissed, but anyway.
0: Okay. Well, um, that's yeah. I guess that's about it then. So, um, thanks for listening. And uh, of course, as I mentioned, the website is www.movieclubpodcast.com. Uh, don't forget to check out uh, Row Three, Twitch, and Film Junk, along with the documentary blog. Uh, along with, <laughs> along with the documentary after
3: going to the documentary <laughs> blog. Okay, <laughs> you know,
0: sure, check it out too. Um, now, uh, I don't know what are we doing for for next month. Omar, are you going to join us again, or uh, what's sure. the plan? Yeah? Okay.
1: If you'll have me.
0: Sure.
2: You, you awesome. said you're from Iceland, right?
0: Yeah.
2: This is probably the worst question in the world to ask someone from Iceland because it's just mm-hmm. a stupid question. But is it like tradition to any any footage I've seen from Iceland, everyone's <laughs> wearing knit sweaters with those elaborate collar designs?
1: Uh, That's just tourists. Is it? <laughs> yeah.
2: Nice. That's pretty cool.
1: But it's like traditional wool sweater stuff that, yeah, they're usually bought by tourists and worn by tourists.
2: It's funny because I was thinking, I got to get one of those sweaters.
1: Yeah. You, think, you can get t-shirts with those uh, patterns. Actually.
2: Really? Yeah. Wow, that's cool. That's even
1: better. It's <laughs> oh. like the tuxedo on the t-shirt.
2: Can you get it's a wool average. t-shirt? <laughs> yeah. That'd be even better. You
1: could have... You can have
2: them made, actually. Cool. Uh, all right. Well, that that wraps it up for me. I mean,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's all you wanted to know.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: all right. Well, um, yeah. Once again, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys next month here on the Movie Club podcast.
4: Yeah. Fuck a beast. Fuck a beast. <laughs> <Fuck abeas. laughs>